Chapter Sixteen of the Life of Honorable William F. Cody. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Barry Eads. The Life of Honorable William F. Cody by William F. Cody. Chapter Sixteen. A Courier. The scouts at Fort Larned, when I arrived there, were commanded by Dick Curtis, an old guide, frontiersman, and Indian interpreter. There were some three hundred lodges of Kiowa and Comanche Indians camped near the fort. These Indians had not as yet gone upon the warpath, but were restless and discontented, and their leading chiefs, Satanta, Lone Wolf, Kicking Bird, Satank, Sidamore, and other noted warriors, were rather saucy. The post at the time was garrisoned by only two companies of infantry and one of cavalry. General Hazen, who was at the post, was endeavoring to pacify the Indians and keep them from going on the warpath. I was appointed as his special scout, and one morning he notified me that he was going to Fort Harker, and wished me to accompany him as far as Fort Zara, thirty miles distant. The general usually traveled in an ambulance, but this trip he was to make in a six-mule wagon, under the escort of a squad of twenty infantrymen. So early one morning in August we started, arriving safely at Fort Zara at twelve o'clock. General Hazen thought it unnecessary that we should go farther, and he proceeded on his way to Fort Harker without an escort, leaving instructions that we should return to Fort Larned the next day. After the general had gone, I went to the sergeant in command of the squad, and told him that I was going back that very afternoon, instead of waiting till the next morning, and I accordingly saddled up my mule and set out for Fort Larned. I proceeded uninterruptedly until I got about halfway between the two posts, when at Pawnee Rock I was suddenly jumped by about forty Indians, who came dashing up to me, extending their hands, and saying, How? How? They were some of the same Indians who had been hanging around Fort Larned in the morning. I saw that they had on their war paint, and were evidently now out on the war path. My first impulse was to shake hands with them, as they seemed so desirous of it. I accordingly reached out my hand to one of them, who grasped it with a tight grip, and jerked me violently forward. Another pulled my mule by the bridle, and in a moment I was completely surrounded. Before I could do anything at all, they had seized my revolvers from the holsters, and I received a blow on the head from a tomahawk, which nearly rendered me senseless. My gun, which was laying across the saddle, was snatched from its place, and finally the Indian, who had hold of the bridle, started off towards the Arkansas River, leading the mule, which was being lashed by the other Indians who were following. The savages were all singing, yelling, and whooping, as only Indians can do, when they are having their little game all their own way. While looking towards the river I saw, on the opposite side, an immense village moving down along the bank, and then I became convinced that the Indians had left the post and were now starting out on the warpath. My captors crossed the stream with me, and as we waded through the shallow water they continued to lash the mule and myself. Finally they brought me before an important-looking body of Indians, who proved to be the chiefs and principal warriors. I soon recognized old Satanta among them, as well as others whom I knew, and I supposed it was all over with me. The Indians were jabbering away so rapidly among themselves that I could not understand what they were saying. Satanta at last asked me where I had been, and, as good luck would have it, a happy thought struck me. I told him I had been after a herd of cattle, or wohas, as they called them. It so happened that the Indians had been out of meat for several weeks, as the large herd of cattle which had been promised them had not yet arrived, although expected by them. The moment that I mentioned that I had been searching for the Wohas, old Satanta began questioning me in a very eager manner. 
He asked me where the cattle were, and I replied that they were back only a few miles, and that I had been sent by General Hazen to inform him that the cattle were coming, and that they were intended for his people. This seemed to please the old rascal, who also wanted to know if there were any soldiers with the herd, and my reply was that there were. Thereupon the chiefs held a consultation, and presently Satanta asked me if General Hazen had really said that they should have the cattle. I replied in the affirmative, and added that I had been directed to bring the cattle to them. I followed this up with a very dignified inquiry, asking why his young men had treated me so. The old wretch intimated that it was only a freak of the boys, that the young men had wanted to see if I was brave. In fact, they had only meant to test my bravery, and that the whole thing was a joke. The veteran liar was now beating me at my own game of lying, but I was very glad of it, as it was in my favor. I did not let him suspect that I doubted his veracity, but I remarked that it was a rough way to treat friends. He immediately ordered his young men to give me back my arms, and scolded them for what they had done. Of course the sly old dog was now playing it very fine, as he was anxious to get possession of the cattle, with which he believed there was a heap of soldiers coming. He concluded it was not best to fight the soldiers if he could get the cattle peaceably. Another council was held by the chiefs, and in a few minutes old Satanta came and asked me if I would go over and bring the cattle down to the opposite side of the river, so that they could get them. I replied, of course, that's my instruction from General Hazen. Satanta said I must not feel angry at his young men, for they had only been acting in fun. He then inquired if I wished any of his men to accompany me to the cattle herd. I replied that it would be better for me to go alone, and then the soldiers could keep right on to Fort Larned, while I could drive the herd down on the bottom. So wheeling my mule around, I was soon recrossing the river, leaving old Satana in the firm belief that I had told him a straight story, and was going for the cattle which only existed in my imagination. I hardly knew what to do, but thought that if I could get the river between the Indians and myself, I would have a good three-quarters of a mile the start of them, and could then make a run for Fort Larned, as my mule was a good one. Thus far my cattle story had panned out all right, but just as I reached the opposite bank of the river, I looked behind and saw that ten or fifteen Indians who had begun to suspect something crooked were following me. The moment that my mule secured a good foothold on the bank, I urged him into a gentle lope towards the place where, according to my statement, the cattle were to be brought. Upon reaching a little ridge, and riding down the other side out of view, I turned my mule and headed him westward for Fort Larned. I let him out for all that he was worth, and when I came out on a little rise of ground I looked back and saw the Indian village in plain sight. My pursuers were now on the ridge which I had passed over, and were looking for me in every direction. Presently they spied me, and seeing that I was running away, they struck out in swift pursuit, and in a few minutes it became painfully evident that they were gaining on me. They kept up the chase as far as Ash Creek, six miles from Fort Larned. I still led them half a mile, as their horses had not gained much during the last half of the race. My mule seemed to have gotten his second wind, and as I was on the old road I had played the whip and spurs on him without much cessation. The Indians likewise had urged their steeds to the utmost. Finally, upon reaching the dividing ridge between Ash Creek and Pawnee Fork, I saw Fort Larned only four miles away. It was now sundown, and I heard the evening gun at the fort. The troops of the garrison little dreamed that there was a man flying for his life from the Indians and trying to reach the post. The Indians were once more gaining on me, and when I crossed the Pawnee Fork, two miles from the post, two or three of them were only a quarter of a mile behind me.
just as i had gained the opposite bank of the stream i was overjoyed to see some soldiers in a government wagon only a short distance off i yelled at the top of my voice and riding up to them told them that the indians were after me denver jim a well-known scout asked how many there were and upon my informing him that there were about a dozen he said let's drive the wagon into the trees and we'll lay for him the team was hurriedly driven in among the trees and low box elder bushes and there secreted we did not have to wait long for the indians who came dashing up lashing their horses which were panting and blowing we let two of them pass by but we opened a lively fire on the next three or four killing two at the first crack the others following discovered that they had run into an ambush and whirling off into the brush they turned and ran back in the direction whence they had come the two who had passed heard the firing and made their escape we scalped the two that we had killed and appropriated their arms and equipments and then catching their horses we made our way into the post the soldiers had heard us firing and as we were approaching the fort the drums were being beaten and the buglers were sounding the call to fall in the officers had thought that satanta and his indians were coming in to capture the fort it seems that on the morning of that day two hours after general hazen had taken his departure old satanta drove into the post in an ambulance which he had received some months before as a present from the government he appeared to be angry and bent on mischief in an interview with captain parker the commanding officer he asked why general hazen had left the post without supplying the beef cattle which had been promised to him the captain told him that the cattle were surely on the road but he could not explain why they were detained the interview proved to be a stormy one and satanta made numerous threats saying that if he wished he could capture the whole post with his warriors captain parker who was a brave man gave satanta to understand that he was reckoning beyond his powers and would find it a more difficult undertaking than he had any idea of as they were prepared for him at any moment the interview finally terminated and satanta angrily left the officer's presence going over to the sutler's store he sold his ambulance to mr tappan the past trader and with a portion of the proceeds he secretly managed to secure some whiskey from some bad men around the fort there are always to be found around every frontier post some men who will sell whiskey to the indians at any time and under any circumstances notwithstanding it as a flagrant violation of both civil and military regulations satanta mounted his horse and taking the whiskey with him he rode rapidly away and proceeded straight to his village he had not been gone over an hour when he returned to the vicinity of the post accompanied by his warriors who came in from every direction to the number of seven or eight hundred it was evident that the irate old rascal was on his ear so to speak and it looked as if he intended to carry out his threat of capturing the fort the garrison at once turned out and prepared to receive the redskins who when within half a mile circled around the fort and fired numerous shots into it instead of trying to take it by assault while this circular movement was going on it was observed that the indian village in the distance was packing up preparatory to leaving and it was soon under way the mounted warriors remained behind some little time to give their families an opportunity to get away as they feared that the troops might possibly in some manner intercept them finally they encircled the post several times fired some farewell rounds and then galloped away over the prairie to overtake their fast departing village on their way thither they surprised and killed a party of woodchoppers down on the pawnee fork as well as some herders who were guarding beef cattle some seven or eight men in all were killed and it was evident that the indians meant business 
The soldiers with the wagon, whom I had met at the crossing of the Pawnee Fork, had been out for the bodies of the men. Under the circumstances, it was no wonder that the garrison, upon hearing the reports of our guns when we fired upon the party whom we ambushed, should have thought the Indians were coming back to give them another turn. We found that all was excitement at the post. Double guards had been put on duty, and Captain Parker had all the scouts at his headquarters. He was endeavoring to get someone to take some important dispatches to General Sheridan at Fort Hayes. I reported to him at once, and stated where I had met the Indians, and how I had escaped from them. You was very fortunate, Cody, in thinking of that cattle story, but for that little game your hair would now be an ornament in a Kiowa's lodge, said he. Just then Dick Curtis spoke up and said, Cody, the captain is anxious to send some dispatches to General Sheridan at Fort Hayes, and none of the scouts here seem to be very willing to undertake the trip. They say they are not well enough acquainted with the country to find the way at night. As a storm was coming up, it was quite dark, and the scouts feared that they would lose the way. Besides, it was a dangerous ride, as a large party of Indians were known to be camped on Walnut Creek on the direct road to Fort Hayes. It was evident that Curtis was trying to induce me to volunteer. I made some evasive answer to Curtis, for I did not care to volunteer after my long day's ride, but Curtis did not let the matter drop. Said he, I wish, Bill, that you were not so tired by your chase of today, for you know the country better than the rest of the boys, and I am certain that you could go through. As far as the ride to Fort Hayes is concerned, that alone would matter but little to me, I said. But it is a risky piece of work just now, as the country is full of hostile Indians. Still, if no other scout is willing to volunteer, I will chance it. I'll go, provided I am furnished with a good horse. I am tired of being chased on a government mule by Indians. At this, Captain Nolan, who had been listening to our conversation, said, Bill, you may have the best horse in my company. You can take your choice if you will carry these dispatches. Although it is against regulations to dismount an enlisted man, I have no hesitancy in such a case of urgent necessity as this is, in telling you that you may have any horse you may wish. Captain, your first sergeant has a splendid horse, and that's the one I want. If he'll let me ride that horse, I'll be ready to start in one hour, storm or no storm, said I. Good enough, Bill. You shall have the horse but are you sure you can find your way on such a dark night as this? I have hunted on nearly every acre of ground between here and Fort Hayes. I can almost keep my route by the bones of the dead buffaloes, I confidently replied. Never fear, Captain, about Cody not finding the way. He is as good in the dark as he is in the daylight, said Curtis. An orderly was sent for the horse, and the animal was soon brought up, although the sergeant kicked a little against letting him go. After eating a lunch and filling a canteen with brandy, I went to headquarters and put my own saddle and bridle on the horse I was to ride. I then got the dispatches, and by ten o'clock was on the road to Fort Hayes, which was sixty-five miles distant across the country. The scouts had all bid me a hearty good-bye, and wished me success, not knowing when, if ever, they would again gaze upon my warlike form, as the poet would say. It was dark as pitch, but this I rather liked as there was little probability of any of the redskins seeing me unless I stumbled upon them accidentally. My greatest danger was that my horse might run into a hole and fall down, and in this way get away from me. To avoid any such accident, I tied one end of my rawhide lariat to the bridle, and the other end to my belt. I didn't propose to be left on foot, alone out on the prairie. It was indeed a wise precaution that I had taken, for within the next three miles the horse, sure enough, stepped into a prairie dog's hole, and down he went, throwing me clear over his head. 
Springing to his feet, before I could catch hold of the bridle, he galloped away into the darkness. But when he reached the full length of the lariat, he found that he was picketed to Bison William. I brought him up standing, and after finding my gun, which had dropped to the ground, I went up to him, and in a moment was in the saddle again, and went on my way, rejoicing, keeping straight on my course, until I came to the ravines leading on to Walnut Creek, twenty-five miles from Fort Larned, where the country became rougher, requiring me to travel slower and more carefully, as I feared the horse might fall over the bank, it being difficult to see anything five feet ahead. As a good horse is not very apt to jump over a bank, if left to guide himself, I let mine pick his own way. I was now proceeding as quietly as possible, for I was in the vicinity of a band of Indians who had recently camped in that locality. I thought that I had passed somewhat above the spot, having made a little circuit to the west with that intention, but as bad luck would have it this time, when I came up near the creek, I suddenly rode in among a herd of horses. The animals became frightened and ran off in every direction. I knew at once that I was among Indian horses, and had walked into the wrong pew, so without waiting to apologize, I backed out as quickly as possible. At this moment a dog, not fifty yards away, set up a howl, and then I heard some Indians engaged in conversation. They were guarding the horses and had been sleeping. Hearing my horses retreating footsteps towards the hills, and thus becoming aware that there had been an enemy in their camp, they mounted their steeds and started for me. I urged my horse to his full speed, taking the chances of his falling into holes and guiding him up the creek bottom. The Indians followed me as fast as they could by the noise I made, but I soon distanced them and then crossed the creek. When I had traveled several miles in a straight course, as I supposed, I took out my compass and by the light of a match saw that I was bearing two points to the east of north. At once changing my course to the direct route, I pushed rapidly on through the darkness towards Smoky Hill River. At about three o'clock in the morning I began traveling more cautiously, as I was afraid of running into another band of Indians. Occasionally I scared up a herd of buffaloes, or antelopes, or coyotes, or deer, which would frighten my horse for a moment, but with the exception of these slight alarms I got along all right. After crossing Smoky Hill River I felt comparatively safe, as this was the last stream I had to cross. Riding on to the northward, I struck the old Santa Fe Trail, ten miles from Fort Hayes, just at break of day. My horse did not seem much fatigued, and being anxious to make good time and get as near the post as possible, before it was fairly daylight, as there might be bands of Indians camped along Big Creek, I urged him forward as fast as he could go. As I had not lost any Indians, I was not now anxious to make their acquaintance, and shortly after Reveille rode into the post. I proceeded directly to General Sheridan's headquarters, and was met at the door by Colonel Moore, aide-de-camp, on General Sheridan's staff, who asked me on what business I had come. I have dispatches for General Sheridan, and my instructions from Captain Parker, commanding Fort Larned, are that they shall be delivered to the General as soon as possible, said I. Colonel Moore invited me into one of the offices, and said he would hand the dispatches to the General as soon as he got up. I prefer to give the dispatches to General Sheridan myself, and at once, was my reply. The General, who was sleeping in the same building, hearing our voices, called out, "'Send the man in with the dispatches.' I was ushered into the General's presence, and as we had met before he recognized me and said, "'Hello, Cody, is that you?' "'Yes, sir. I have some dispatches here for you, from Captain Parker,' said I, as I handed the package over to him. He hurriedly read them, and said they were important.' and then he asked me all about General Hazen, and where he had gone, 
and about the breaking out of the Kiowas and Comanches. I gave him all the information that I possessed, and related the events and adventures of the previous day and night. Bill, said he, you must have had a pretty lively ride. You certainly had a close call when you ran into the Indians on Walnut Creek. That was a good joke you played on old Satana. I suppose you're pretty tired after your long journey. I am rather weary, General, that's a fact, as I have been in the saddle since yesterday morning, was my reply. But my horse is more tired than I am, and needs attention full as much if not more, I added. Thereupon the General called an orderly and gave instructions to have my animal well taken care of, and then he said, Cody, come in and have some breakfast with me. No thank you, General, said I. Hay City is only a mile from here, and I prefer riding over there, as I know about everyone in the town, and I want to see some of my friends. Very well, do as you please, and come to the post afterwards, as I want to see you, said he. Bidding him good morning, and telling him that I would return in a few hours, I rode over to Hay City, and at the Prairie House I met many of my old friends, who were of course all glad to see me. I took some refreshments and a two-hours nap, and afterward returned to Fort Hayes, as I was requested. As I rode up to the headquarters, I noted several scouts in a little group, evidently engaged in conversation on some important matter. Upon inquiry, I learned that General Sheridan had informed them that he was desirous of sending a dispatch to Fort Dodge, a distance of ninety-five miles. The Indians had recently killed two or three men while they were carrying dispatches between Fort Hayes and Fort Dodge, and on this account none of the scouts seemed at all anxious to volunteer, although a reward of several hundred dollars was offered to anyone who would carry the dispatches. They had learned of my experiences on the previous day, and asked me if I did not think it would be a dangerous trip. I gave it as my opinion that a man might possibly go through without seeing an Indian, but that the chances were ten to one that he would have an exceedingly lively run and a hard time before he reached his destination, if he ever got there at all. Leaving the scouts to decide among themselves as to who was to go, I reported to General Sheridan, who also informed me that he wished someone to carry dispatches to Fort Dodge. While we were talking, his chief of scouts, Dick Parr, entered and stated that none of the scouts had yet volunteered. Upon hearing this, I got my brave up a little and said, General, if there is no one ready to volunteer, I'll carry your dispatches myself. I had not thought of asking you to do this duty, Cody, as you are already pretty hard worked. But it is really important that these dispatches should go through, said the general. Well, if you don't get a courier by four o'clock this afternoon, I'll be ready for business at that time. All I want is a fresh horse, said I. Meantime, I'll take a little more rest. It was not much of a rest, however, that I got, for I went over to Hay City again and had a time with the boys. I came back to the post at the appointed hour, and finding that no one had volunteered, I reported to General Sheridan. He had selected an excellent horse for me, and on handing me the dispatches, he said, You can start as soon as you wish, the sooner the better, and good luck go with you, my boy. In about an hour afterwards I was on the road, and just before dark I crossed Smoky Hill River. I had not yet urged my horse much, as I was saving his strength for the latter end of the route, and for any run that I might have to make in case the wild boys should jump me. So far I had not seen a sign of Indians, and as evening came on I felt comparatively safe. I had no adventures worth relating during the night, and just before daylight I found myself approaching Saw Log Crossing, on the Pawnee Fork, having then ridden about seventy miles. A company of colored cavalry, commanded by Major Cox, was stationed at this point, and I approached their camp cautiously, 
for fear that the pickets would fire upon me, as the darky soldiers were liable to shoot first and cry halt afterwards. When within hearing distance I yelled out at the top of my voice, and was answered by one of the pickets. I told him not to shoot, as I was a scout from Fort Hayes, and then, calling the sergeant of the guard, I went up to the vedette of the post, who readily recognized me. I entered the camp, and proceeded to the tent of Major Cox, to whom I handed a letter from General Sheridan, requesting him to give me a fresh horse. He at once complied with the request. After I had slept an hour and had eaten a lunch, I again jumped into the saddle, and before sunrise I was once more on the road. It was twenty-five miles to Fort Dodge, and I arrived there between nine and ten o'clock, without having seen a single Indian. After delivering the dispatches to the commanding officer, I met Johnny Austin, chief of scouts at this post, who was an old friend of mine. Upon his invitation, I took a nap at his house, and when I awoke, fresh for business once more, he informed me that the Indians had been all around the post for the past two or three days, running off cattle and horses, and occasionally killing a stray man. It was a wonder to him that I had met with none of the redskins on the way there. The Indians, he said, were also very thick on the Arkansas River, between Fort Dodge and Fort Larned, and making considerable trouble. Fort Dodge was located sixty-five miles west of Fort Larned, the latter post being on the Pawnee Fork, about five miles from its junction with the Arkansas River. The commanding officer at Fort Dodge was anxious to send some dispatches to Fort Larned, but the scouts, like those at Fort Hayes, were rather backward about volunteering, as it was considered a very dangerous undertaking to make the trip. As Fort Larned was my post, and as I wanted to go there anyhow, I said to Austin that I would carry the dispatches, and if any of the boys wished to go along, I would like to have them for company's sake. Austin reported my offer to the commanding officer, who sent for me, and said he would be happy to have me take his dispatches, if I could stand the trip on top of all that I had already done. "'All I want is a good fresh horse, sir,' said I. "'I am sorry to say that we haven't a decent horse here, but we have a reliable and honest government mule, if that will do you,' said the officer. "'Trot out your mule,' said I. "'That's good enough for me. I am ready at any time, sir.' The mule was forthcoming, and at dark I pulled out for Fort Larned, and proceeded uninterruptedly to Coon Creek, thirty miles out from Dodge. I had left the main wagon road some distance to the south, and had traveled parallel with it, thinking this to be a safer course, as the Indians might be lying in wait on the main road for dispatch bearers and scouts. At Coon Creek I dismounted and led the mule by the bridle down to the water, where I took a drink using my hat for a dipper. While I was engaged in getting the water, the mule jerked loose and struck out down the creek. I followed him in hopes that he would catch his foot in the bridle rein and stop, but this he seemed to have no idea of doing. He was making straight for the wagon road, and I did not know what minute he might run into a band of Indians. He finally got on the road, but instead of going back toward Fort Dodge, as I naturally expected he would do, he turned eastward toward Fort Larned, and kept up a little jog-trot just ahead of me, but would not let me come up to him, although I tried it again and again. I had my gun in my hand, and several times I was strongly tempted to shoot him, and would probably have done so had it not been for fear of bringing Indians down upon me, and besides, he was carrying the saddle for me. So I trudged on after the obstinate critter, and if there ever was a government mule that deserved and received a good round cursing, it was that one. I had neglected the precaution of tying one end of my lariat to his bit, and the other to my belt, as I had done a few nights before, and I blamed myself for this gross piece of negligence. Mile after mile I kept on after that mule, 
and every once in a while I indulged in strong language respecting the whole mule fraternity. From Coon Creek to Fort Larned it was thirty-five miles, and I finally concluded that my prospects were good for hoofing the whole distance. We, that is to say the confounded mule and myself, were making pretty good time. There was nothing to hold the mule, and I was all the time trying to catch him, which urged him on. I made every step count, for I wanted to reach Fort Larned before daylight, in order to avoid, if possible, the Indians, to whom it would have been pie to have caught me there on foot. The mule stuck to the road and kept on for Larned, and I did the same thing. Just as day was beginning to break, we, that is, the mule and myself, found ourselves on a hill looking down into the valley of the Pawnee Fork, in which Fort Larned was located, only four miles away, and when the morning gun belched forth we were within a half-mile of the post. "'Now,' said I, Mr. Mule, "'it is my turn.' And raising my gun to my shoulder, in dead earnest this time, I blazed away, hitting the animal in the hip. Throwing a second cartridge into the gun, I let him have another shot, and I continued to pour lead into him until I had him completely laid out. Like the great majority of government mules, he was a tough one to kill, and he clung to life with all the tenaciousness of his obstinate nature. He was, without doubt, the toughest and meanest mule I ever saw, and he died hard. The troops, hearing the reports of the gun, came rushing out to see what was the matter. They found that the mule had passed in his chips, and when they learned the cause, they all agreed that I had served him just right. Taking the saddle and bridle from the dead body, I proceeded into the post, and delivered the dispatches to Captain Parker. I then went over to Dick Curtis's house, which was headquarters for the scouts, and there put in several hours of solid sleep. During the day General Hazen returned from Fort Harker, and he also had some important dispatches to send to General Sheridan. I was feeling quite elated over my big ride, and seeing that I was getting the best of the other scouts in regard to making a record, I volunteered to carry General Hazen's dispatches to Fort Hayes. The general accepted my services, although he thought it was unnecessary for me to kill myself. I told him that I had business at Fort Hayes, and wished to go there anyway, and it would make no difference to the other scouts, for none of them appeared willing to undertake the trip. Accordingly, that night I left Fort Larned on an excellent horse, and next morning at daylight found myself once more in General Sheridan's headquarters at Fort Hayes. The general was surprised to see me and still more so when I told him of the time I had made in riding to Fort Dodge, and that I had taken dispatches from Fort Dodge to Fort Larned, and when, in addition to this, I mentioned my journey of the night previous, General Sheridan thought my ride from post to post, taken as a whole, was a remarkable one, and said he did not know of its equal. I can safely say that I have never heard of its being beaten in a country infested with hostile Indians. To recapitulate, I had ridden from Fort Larned to Fort Zera, a distance of sixty-five miles, and back in twelve hours, including the time when I was taken across the Arkansas by the Indians. In the succeeding twelve hours I had gone from Fort Larned to Fort Hayes, a distance of sixty-five miles. In the next twenty-four hours I had gone from Fort Hayes to Fort Dodge, a distance of ninety-five miles. The following night I had traveled from Fort Dodge thirty miles on muleback and thirty-five miles on foot to Fort Larned, and the next night sixty-five miles more to Fort Hayes. Altogether I had ridden and walked 355 miles in 58 riding hours, or an average of over 6 miles an hour. Of course this may not be regarded as very fast riding, but taking into consideration the fact that it was mostly done in the night and over a wild country, with no roads to follow, and that I had to be continually on the lookout for Indians, it was thought at the time to be a big ride, 
as well as a most dangerous one. End of chapter 16